Welcome everyone to Business Growth on Purpose. My name is Jose Palomino. I'm CEO of Value Prop Interactive. And it is my great pleasure every week to be interviewing experts from around the world, owners of other B2B businesses, and sometimes just sharing some of my personal insights from decades of helping businesses grow on purpose. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the episode. Welcome to our new series, 20 Questions, where we dive into the top sales and marketing pain points we hear from B2B owners. If your sales and marketing have been stalled, it's time to break through with these 20 questions. Now to your host, Jose Palomino. Hi, everybody. Jose Palomino here with another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. And I'm going to begin a short series here on key questions that B2B owners, much like you, have about marketing. And so I, I went back over the dozens and dozens of companies I've worked with over, over the last 15 years uh, in answering these questions for them, helping them really stand up marketing processes and programs. Also even went into uh, Bing's chat GPT uh, option and asked the question, what are some top questions uh, B2B owners ask of their marketing specialists, consultants, uh, help? And uh, we're going to go through this in a series of episodes, just going to go top to bottom, hit about 20 questions here. And I'll call out the question. I'll tell you what I think the answer might be as food for thought. And these will be slightly shorter episodes. We're not interviewing a guest for these episodes. Uh, but I think there could be some really great resources here that you'll find beneficial. And uh, if, if I get some good feedback, I would love to hear from you as to anything you would add or take away from it. Any disagreements are fine. That's all inbounds. Uh, feel free to visit us on our uh, uh, on any of the normal podcast channels that you get this episode, but you can also watch the episode and with some of the, the more specific liner notes on our uh, show page, which you can go to Business Growth on Purpose or go to valueprop.com. Uh, and go to the podcast, just select the podcast and you'll see uh, the pages there for each episode. So let's begin. Um, what are the most, question number one, what are the most effective B2B marketing strategies for my industry? I get asked that question a lot, different versions of that. And of course, depends on the industry. But if we're looking at most B2B categories that tend to be industrial or professional services and so on, uh, I'm glad the question is about marketing strategies, not marketing tactics. So people think I need to have a lot of, uh, you know, social, or I need to have a great website, uh, or I need to do a lot of trade shows. All of that could be true, but those would be seen as things you do to implement a strategy. So I always like to think about the strategy at the highest level of saying, do you know, first of all, do you have a clear view of who you want to connect with most? Not your existing customers, but the next customers you're going to get. That's part of what marketing. Now, marketing can also serve to grow your, your install base. If you, let's say, a CPA firm, you have lots of customers and you have other services to offer them. In a sense, they're a new market to you there. And, but you have to think about who they are and where they, where they get information from, where they hang out. Do they, does your customer, does your likely customer, and a good way to look at this is think about your top 10 customers. Are those people people who actually uh, go to trade shows, for example, in your industry? If that's the case, then you have to include trade shows in your overall strategy. But just showing up is not enough. 
It's like, what is it? How do they make decisions? How do they make buying decisions? Is Are you in a category where people only, for example, I'll use CPAs again, only choose CPAs who are referred to them by, uh, by a trusted advisor or something like that? That's one possibility. Uh, or are you in an industry where people do a lot of research in advance? A lot of technology-based companies are like that that your prospects are actually doing a lot of research online before they even reach out to a vendor. So it's really about knowing how your customer buys and where you can touch them. So that could be uh, in some industries, uh, it could be a letter campaign. Uh, in others, it could be social media. In others, it could be, again, very event-based trade shows, professional conferences, things like that. In others, you might want to build up a referral strategy, and that takes time. That's like planting seeds for the long haul, uh, and, and and you can't just make it make it grow. You can't command the seed to grow, but it's about being out there and cultivating your relationship so that when somebody asks them, "Hey, do you know somebody who does, you know, I don't know, IT security?" Oh yeah, I know somebody who's great at IT security, and then you get the referral for that. So that's not an exact answer to a question because it's an imprecise question, actually. It depends on the industry. But I would say more than it depends on the industry, it depends on your buyer in that industry. So that's the other thing. Depending on what you sell, uh, you, may, you may be selling to somebody in aerospace engineering services. Somebody else sells uh, parts that are used in drones, uh, manufacturing of drones. Others sell raw material. Yet others sell maybe, uh, you know, human resource services. Well, guess what? The strategy, just because you're all in aerospace, doesn't mean you reach uh, your buyer the same way. Because in one case, you might be selling to a CFO. Another one, you may be selling to an HR person. Somebody else, you might be selling to somebody just in procurement. So it really does uh, have more to do with the who you're trying to reach and understanding where they get informed, where they are likely to be, what they're likely to respond to. And a good test for this, if you're looking to expand on existing customers, meaning you have a set of customers now and you want more like them, or who are the ones you want more of? That's the, maybe a better way of asking the question. I sometimes ask this in workshops. I say, who would you clone among your customer base? And once you understand that, then you can actually start shaping your outreach, your communication, your education strategies, which are all part of marketing, you know, subset of marketing, and get that uh, going in that way. So the second question directly related to this is, of course, how can I generate more leads for my B2B business, right? So in most B2B categories, you're selling contracts, you're selling um, deals, some of you may be selling, uh, once you have somebody buying something from you, like supplies or something regularly, it's more like transactions that happen over time. Others sell, you sell a big machine and it's actually a sale you may be working on for six months. So when you think about leads, you have to think about, am I looking for somebody to buy a lot right up front? Or am I looking for somebody to just add me to the list of people they buy supplies from, for example? So that's also knowing your customer is critical. Uh, we have uh, we have lots of material on knowing your customer on our site as resources. We'll link to uh, an ebook we have on that called Know That Customer. It's so critical that you just really zero in on your customer. But to generate more leads in B2B, 
Uh, there's a lot being discussed about right now. And, and so you have a couple of options. Certainly you could, uh, I mentioned uh, events, uh, trade shows. You have to be there and look to make relationships happen. That's networking, that's networking breakfasts, events, and so on. Actual mileage can vary greatly depending on what you sell in your industry, but that's one approach. The other is direct approach, and there's three primary direct ways to reach out to somebody, not exclusively, but primary. Certainly send an email. So you get a list, you find a list, you built a list, you get a list from your, um, your professional association. There's so many ways to get lists. Uh, you can buy a list, there's list vendors, there's Info USA, and so on. And you decide you want to send a personal email. And again, if you're sending, I'm not an attorney here, but if you send an email that's clearly marked as uh, advertising or marketing or something that's not duplicitous, it, you should be on the right side of canned spam. Now, if you over-automate that, and again, not the expert on this, that may be where you run into that. But if you're actually sending out emails to people you want to reach out to with a serious email, meaning something that properly frames you as somebody wanting to talk about something important to both of you, that can work. Uh, LinkedIn can be done the same way. You can send out messages, you can connect with people, you can send in-mails to people. And then there's like letters. And I think that's underutilized. Uh, people don't get much mail, certainly not like number 10 envelope with an actual letter that is real. Now, again, this runs into the the kind of the contrary force in the marketplace. Now, you, you've been if you're in business for more than a day, you've been pitched this already. Lead gen services. Most of them are all about doing it at scale, just mass outreach via email, via social media, LinkedIn primarily in B2B, but not exclusively. And certainly, uh, you know, even physical mail, postcards, things like that. Any of these things can work, but generally quality over quantity. If you're doing this as a small business or if you have one or two sales reps, dedicate some time to doing intelligent outreach, I think could work better for you. Reaching out to somebody because you've actually visited their website and you have an idea for them, how you might be able to help them very specifically could be better. Again, if you could activate your referral network, that's great, but that you can't just press the red button and have uh, your colleagues, associates, people who trust you, know you, like you. You can't just say, give me referrals. Uh, you can try it once and you can try it in a pinch, but it's not a really great process because it makes people want to avoid your phone call in the future. So those things will come when they come. We'll talk more about referrals later in one of the other questions. But just to, to say lead gens, there's a couple of tactics that you can do. Some are very low cost, like social media. Email is relatively low cost. Mail is a little more costly. It's about a dollar a unit. But if you sent out 100 letters a month, 25 a week, and then you followed up with a phone call, if you could, just to say, hey, did you get my, my letter? Or I'm following up on my letter because I think what we're doing might be very interesting to you. And you have to find the angle, the hook. All of these methods rise and fall on the strength of, I'm not going to say the offer, like we have a sale now, we're crazy eddies of, of IT consulting. Uh, you're not going to approach it that way. But instead, uh, all of these methods have to have something in them that would grab somebody's attention and say, let me read the next, pa next paragraph, the next paragraph, and so on. Uh, you might want to look up Ray Edwards. I've interviewed Ray, and he also is has written some great books on 
on actually writing copy. And you're listening, you say, oh, I'm not going to be a copywriter. I'll hire a copywriter. And I agree with that. H however, this book is a, uh, this, he's written a number of books. There's other books on this, but to, to get a little bit of a handle on copywriting, to develop kind of an eye for it is very beneficial to you as you hire out people to actually do the work of writing for you, if you can do that. So a little knowledge there goes a long way. You may find you love it and you're willing to try. You feel confident as a writer, but you may find that, boy, after reading this, I'd never want to write. I'll definitely hire people, but you'll at least know what you're asking for. So that's the second question. The third question is, uh, what is the best way to target and reach my ideal B2B audience? So I kind of alluded to this in answers to questions one and two, but I would say, you're, let's think about who is your ideal audience. Not necessarily your biggest client or biggest category client you have, because you may have some big clients that generate a lot of revenue for you, but not a lot of profit. Sometimes, especially if you're like in manufacturing or you're doing some contract work, you may find that some of your biggest contracts are not particularly profitable because they have very professional procurement processes and they squeeze you very hard and they're just not as profitable as something that might come in the mid-market. Now, generally, in most categories, if, uh, you're not going to do very well selling to only very, very small companies because they just don't have as much money. It's like Willie Loman, the famous bank robbers. They said, why do you rob banks? He said, that's what the money is. So you have to find, from an ideal customer point of view, what segment of the market, what category of customer actually is the one you want more of. So I would scale that a couple of ways. Uh, customers that you think have potential for growth. Customers that can pay you on time. Not a small thing if you're an owner of a privately held B2B company. Um, customers that don't maybe know as many of the options out there. So if you're in a particular category, uh, let's say you, you offer project management services. Uh, if you sell to very big software companies, for example, they probably have a lot of sophistication. They have technology, they have personnel, and they also have access to the best project management companies in the world. But you move down a tier into like the middle of the mid-market, you may find that those people have less options and less awareness. And your stuff may look like, um, you know, to people who've never seen fire, you're showing up with a big lighter. It's amazing, right, to them. So that's the thought there about ideal. Like, where can you make traction happen? Where can you have growth come out of it? And, and which type of customer is best aligned to your strengths? So if you're trying to keep going after a very big company, but you're a very small company, are you going to reach a point of disconnect where they're going to ask things of you, scale things of you that you will not be able to deliver on? So depending what kind of business you're in, uh, if you're doing, let's say, some sort of like sales training and you know you're going after thousand person sales teams, unless you have the ability to quickly scale trainers, you will not be successful at that. It's not ideal for you. At the same time, you don't necessarily want to sell sales training to a company with two sales reps. That's too small and doesn't scale for you the dollars you need. So think about that, who your ideal is. And, and then thinking about targeting them, again, going back to the first answer, where are they? How do they learn about stuff? Where do they get information? What does their buying process look like? So the fourth question, slightly different. Uh, pace here. How can I improve my B2B website's performance and user experience? 
Wow. I've been on a lot of B2B websites and most of them started out with a decent core design, but over time, the committee, I refer to the committee, which is usually the owner and anyone who has the owner's ear have added pages and content and stuff. And so the homepage looks like a race car with all the logos and a lot of different things. Look at this. How about that? And, and so the whole point is it has no central focus. So in the same way that your value proposition should represent something distinct of importance of value to your customer, your website should try to aim at a sharp end of the spear. You don't need to tell everybody everything about your company on page one. Newspapers don't do that. Magazines don't do that. Book covers don't do that. They give you enough to tease you to get you involved. So tell us on your homepage what you do and who you do it for and, and why you do it differently. Somehow that should get across. So if you sell labels, uh, safety labels for utility companies, you know, gas, electric, that kind of companies, um, that tells me who you are. You're not a general purpose printer. You're a safety label company, for example. So focus is really key especially because you know, as you travel the web, as you look up things, you have no, att your attention span is very limited. You have a lot of distractions. The phone's ringing. Your Zoom uh, thing is, is ringing. Your internal Slack channel, people are looking for you. You have five other browsers open with either uh, a newspaper, a business journal, your email, and the, the thing you were trying to work on since this morning. And you're looking for something on the web where do you find it? So it's really important that when you get to a page that maybe got there through SEO, through organic, you found it came up in a Google search and you clicked on it and, and you go to a page, does it promise you what you're looking for or does it confuse you? So when you talk about user experiences, eliminate confusion. Uh, there's a great book by a really top thinker in this area in user interface design. I think it's a great book for any business person to read, even though it sounds a little wonky, a little bit about design and so on. And I tend to like those things. So maybe my preference is there. But his name is Steve Krug. That's K-R-U-G. And he wrote a book 15 years ago. Still holds up today. It's called Don't Make Me Think. Don't Make Me Think. And his point it was true then. It's even more true today. It don't make me come to your website and have to figure you out and, and like scrutinize what is it you mean and what is it you sell and who do you sell it for? Make those things easy and make the navigation easy and intuitive. Don't name sections weird things like how we change the world is not a menu selection. If what you mean to say is services, the services we offer. Do you see what I'm saying? So like you have to really think about it in terms of simplicity. So a great way to improve your user experience in your website is when you ever you meet somebody new to you, maybe not even in your industry, just maybe you're in a in a business roundtable and somebody else is, hey, listen, can you can I sit with you for 15 minutes and just show you our website or our new website and um, just Verb, just out loud as you as you as you see things, just anything at all that impresses you doesn't impress you. I'm not looking for your approval. I'm not looking for you to tell me it's great. 
I'm not looking. I have no agenda other than to just your impressions. What do you think it means? What What do you think it is? What do you look for when you go on a website? Now, look, there's people who do this very formally, but if you're a small business owner, you're not going to hire a user interface firm to spend $25,000 to analyze your website that costs you 10 grand to build. Doesn't make sense. And your designer may be too close to it to give you that good advice anymore. They just like, they're looking at it like this. So you have to be thinking in terms of getting some outside input. That's critical. And then get, and then really listen, don't, don't, argue the point they tell you what they tell you is what they feel they're sampling of one get a couple of people to speak into it and then as impassionately as as you can as dispassionately as you can just take a look at it and say you know could i find what i'm looking for what are the things people that i want people to be able to find on my website uh, how to contact us um what products we sell who we target what sets us apart how would they find that Maybe uh, if you want to educate your audience with technical education, how would that look? So those are things that can go into making your site much better. So the, the fifth question I'm going to answer on this episode is uh, what role does content marketing uh, play in B2B lead generation? So that's a tricky question because it conflates two ideas, uh, content uh, marketing and then lead generation. So I look at content as its own good thing on many levels. Uh, content that, that informs and doesn't necessarily sell can be very powerful on your website, on your social media, on LinkedIn posts, if you're really straight up B2B, could be a Facebook page if, if your particular industry is big in Facebook. It certainly could be TikTok, uh, anything like that, um, Instagram reels or whatever. I mean whatever's relevant to your market. And, and you know it's relevant if you know your customers are there. Remember, that's one of the first questions we answered. So content marketing, really think of it this way. It's information that helps your customers before they spend money with you. And let me pause on that. That's a big idea if you really think about it. It's information you make available that's a benefit to your prospects before they spend money with you. Now, of course, it's a benefit to your customers who are actively spending money with you as well. But when you really think about it from a design point of view, you're thinking about what information can I put out there that would be a benefit to my customers before they spend money with me. So that means it has to do with their jobs. It has to do maybe with the broad category of stuff I do. So if my uh, technology, what I sell, has to do with production line efficiency, then I'm going to put a lot of content out about things you can do to make your production line more efficient. And not everything has to pay off with a tag that says, and that's why Acme Sprockets makes production lines more productive. You can do some of that towards the bottom, towards the end. Occasionally, if you do a lot of content, it can be embedded more prominently. But you want the balance the feel of it to be that, boy, I'm glad Acme is publishing another blog or another article or another infographic or another ebook that is helpful because when they publish stuff, it's good stuff. It's helpful stuff. And what that does, it makes you top of mind. It also, like an IV drip, if you think about it, when you 
get into a hospital, God forbid you have to go into a hospital for any reason, one of the first things they do is they hook you up with an IV with just a saline solution. Because they don't know what drugs they're going to give you, but they know they want easy access when they have to administer something. In the same way, content can be like an IV drip, that you're always present, they're always engaging with you at some level, and not every piece is going to get responded to with an, like this really earnest, excited email. Thank you for sending me the ebook. You're rarely going to get that, but you're nonetheless registering through frequency. Now, there's a whole other question about what's too frequent and so on. I, I find a lot of smaller business owners are more afraid of frequency than they should be. Most people won't remember much except for the thing they see that day. And a lot of your content will just slip into their email queue way down at the bottom because they're only looking at the top 10 things they have to focus on today. So you have to work on headlines if you're sending email content. Stuff on your website uh, shouldn't be so much clutter, but really think about best content, stuff that's very helpful. And one way you can do that is just ask your customers, hey, what are some things you think we might know that might be helpful to you? Or what are some things that you, what are some of the challenges you have? Or if you have salespeople, then ask them, what are the challenges when you're doing discovery people are mentioning all the time? Some of which you may address with your products, but some of which may be candidly just things that are like industry issues or economic issues and so on. Now, you're not going to write content like you're The Economist or Business Week or Time Magazine uh, necessarily. That's not the burden on you. You don't have to figure it out to that level. Just good, helpful stuff. You also, I know there's a lot of people, you may have them, SEO experts that say, you know, you need to have 1500 word articles or else it won't rank. And I have to do content marketing for ranking purposes. And look, it helps. But I'd rather see you put out good, pithy content that people would read and appreciate through email, on your site, on your social. And here's the killer part of it, too, the best part. If you're selling actively, remember those letters I mentioned, those emails you might send to say hello? You can say, and we just published this ebook that might be very helpful to you. Please enjoy compliments on, you know, on the house. Those little steps there mean that you can use your content and you can encourage your salespeople and anyone who touches customers to really know internally, everyone know the stuff you're putting out there because there may be questions that your customers are asking you that you've already answered in a really well-written article. So get it out there. And that creates maybe not a net new lead if it's an existing customer, but it, it again, brings you top of mind. And in some, of, some cases, you're selling in categories where you get a certain number of transactions from a customer, but your competitors get a certain other number of the same transaction that you could have gotten. And so you want to increase your share of wallet. And that helps you too. So it's not directly, classically lead generation, i.e. getting a net new name uh, client, but it can increase sales. On the net new name, as people find you, uh, because SEO will improve as you publish things on your blog, uh, you stay on a theme and there's a whole discussion on SEO. I won't go into it on the answer to this question, but content marketing in B2B is critical to connect your value to your prospects in a variety of ways that they can actually remember you, respond to you, and appreciate you in a bigger way. So for now, those are five questions we tackle. We're going to continue tackling some more. 
Uh, this has been Jose Palomino, CEO of Value Prop and your host on Business Growth on Purpose. If as we go through the series or even right now, you want to drop me a line with another question, happy to include it in subsequent episodes. And if you want to talk to me for any reason about your business to see if there's some way we could help you, uh, just go to josepalomino.com. It goes right to my scheduler and uh, we can have a half hour conversation and just learn about each other and see if there's a uh, if, if there's an opportunity for us to work together in a way that helps you grow your business on purpose. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.